So I'm freshly back from a three-month sabbatical and a vacation, and I am deeply, deeply grateful for this time of rest, this time of reflection and rejuvenation. I realized toward the end of my time away that I had never in my adult life had that much free time. I started working summers when I was 16 years old, and between school and work, my time has been scheduled. It's been filled with obligations. There was that six months I took off after our second daughter was born, but believe me, taking care of a newborn and a three-year-old is not free time. (laughs) The word sabbatical comes from the same root as Sabbath. A sabbatical year is described in Leviticus, chapter 25. Every seventh year, says Leviticus, the land shall have a Sabbath of complete rest, a Sabbath of the Lord. As with the weekly Sabbath, this was to be a time of honoring God, but it also had a practical reason. As the fields and animals that are worked endlessly become progressively less productive. The long-term goal was better fields, better harvest, and better people. A modern-day sabbatical honors this reality. A person's productive capacity, our brains, our hearts, will be more productive and life-giving if we get a break from the routine every now and then. The once-a-week Sabbath has the same purpose, and it's actually a commandment, one of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. There was a time when our American culture assumed everyone was Christian, or at least ought to be, and most places had laws, restrictions about what people could do on Sundays. Blue laws is what they're called. I lived in Texas in the late 1970s, and on Sundays there was a great big sign across the beer section of the grocery store. No beer sales on Sunday. There was also a whole set of restrictions on other things you could and couldn't buy that never made any sense to me. You could buy garden hoses and fertilizer, but not hardware or cookie sheets or pillowcases. I don't know what that was about. (laughs) My mother remembered a time when she wasn't allowed to sew or go to movies on Sundays, and I'm sure some of you remember those kinds of restraints and constraints as well and probably not too fondly. The Jews during Jesus' time would have found that very odd. Keep in mind that the law, including the laws about the Sabbath, was given to the Israelites after the exodus from Egypt. You remember Egypt. When the Israelites were slaves, with no control over their work or their schedule or their lives, and probably no day off, the song that the choir just finished singing gives us a sense of what that that desperate sense of what freedom is. And so when they received the command to rest, to set aside one day of the week to rest their bodies and their livestock and retreat for a time of renewal and prayer, trust me, they heard this as only good news. Now, fresh from my sabbatical, I wonder if we wouldn't be better taking taking Sabbath more seriously. We aren't slaves not the way the Israelites were or not the way some people still are. But certainly, plenty of us have to work long hours. And many of us have a harder and harder time disconnecting from work. We can be reached by cell phone or email pretty much 24-7. But 
Those who work in global industries have to deal with customers and coworkers in Bangladesh or China or wherever they are when those people are awake. It never stops. Life for people at all levels of the economic ladder is hectic and demanding. Maybe a sabbatical isn't possible for everyone, but couldn't we all use a Sabbath, a day of rest, one day? And this is what the leader of the synagogue is worried about in the passage in Luke. Once you start making exceptions, pretty soon no one is keeping the Sabbath, and it's not just the Sabbath, the whole law is like that. Keep making exceptions, and it's not really a law anymore. The Ten Commandments become the Ten Suggestions, as one of my colleagues used to put it. And then they have little or no power to protect and preserve us. Now, I think if we're honest, many of us agree with this leader, maybe not about the Sabbath, but about rules and laws generally that there are some rules and laws that you should just keep, period. And if you don't, who knows what will unravel next. When I was a teenager, my dad went ballistic if I came in one minute past my curfew. If being a minute was uh, late was okay, he, he was afraid I'd start thinking that five minutes was okay, or 10, or 30. Rules are rules, as one of my kids puts it. Curfews, finishing homework before turning on the TV, not taking up two parking spaces in the parking lot, singing the doxology after the offering, following the Presbyterian Book of Order. Rules are rules, and I'm sure you all have your own list. But there's another perspective in this story. In the middle of one of his teaching sessions, Jesus sees this woman who has been bent over, who has been crippled for nearly two decades. The woman doesn't ask Jesus to heal her. She doesn't ask for anything. Jesus notices her, calls out to her, and tells her that she is free from her ailment. Now, Jesus does not disagree with the synagogue leader about honoring the Sabbath. That's really important here. He's offering a different interpretation of what keeps the Sabbath holy. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water, he asks? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? These references to bondage and freedom are not coincidental. Egypt, remember? It's this tradition that Jesus is tapping into, the tradition that links the Sabbath to freedom, to liberty, to release from bondage and deliverance from captivity. Of course it is permissible to set someone free on the Sabbath, Jesus seems to say, for the Sabbath is all about freedom. The Sabbath day, whether the Jewish Sabbath on Saturday or the Christian day of rest and worship on Sunday, reminds us, all of us, that we too have been captive and we were set free and therefore invites us to look around and see who else might still be bound and waiting for release. Who else might be bound? 
Who isn't? All around us, people are bent over by economic hardship, even here in this room, although folks are good at hiding it. People are bent over with grief and with the challenges of aging. People are bent over by addictions, failed marriages, kids or grandkids who are messing with drugs. People are bent over by depression, resentment, regret and shame and the refusal to forgive. People are bent over by loneliness, by fear, by hopelessness. Even as we celebrate the 50th anniversary of the March on Washington, this summer we were painfully reminded again that many people are still bent over by racial prejudice. But during my sabbatical, I was reminded in a fresh way that most folks in our culture have quit looking to the church for the release and healing and freedom that they need. I've been using the word countercultural to describe being a Christian in Marin County for some time. But over these past few months, when I've had a bit of distance from the institutional church, I've had a new, not appreciation exactly, but a new insight perhaps, into the extent to which the church is simply irrelevant to many people not even a blip on the radar. And sadly, the church represents the polar opposite of freedom to many people. Religion, with its paraphernalia, its traditions and rituals and liturgies, its creeds and doctrines and rules, not only doesn't look very free, but it seems to be an end in itself. Maintaining the traditions, following the rules, becomes so important that people forget the original intent and, incredibly, act in ways that deny the love and freedom and grace that Jesus preached. So you end up with an inquisition because the church feels threatened by theological diversity. You end up with men in white robes burning crosses and murdering and lynching because they feel threatened by racial diversity you end up with the majority of the young people in our country assuming that all Christians are narrow-minded, homophobic hypocrites. This is what Jesus is speaking against, religion that forgets God is love and becomes an end in itself. So I began to wonder, if honoring the Sabbath means looking around for those who might still be bound and waiting for release, and frankly, I think that's everyone. How do we offer this? How do we extend this to people who don't expect anything like freedom from the church? I'm still wrestling with this, and I invite you to wrestle with it too. It's probably the most important question facing us. How do we share the good news with people who need it, but don't expect to hear it from the church? I don't have any great answers, but I have a couple of initial thoughts, and they relate to the concerns of this well-meaning synagogue leader. Last week, I had a conversation with a church member who reminded me that initially she came to our church with some trepidation. She worshipped with us for a few times, even though we seemed to be speaking a foreign language, and then she asked for an appointment with me. She said she wasn't very churchy and really didn't intend to be. The Jesus thing, she wasn't so sure about. 
but she needed a community of support, and she had a feeling that she would find it with us. Last week when we spoke, she confessed that when she joined the church, she crossed her fingers when she answered the new member questions about what she believed. And I know she's not alone. I know that's true for many of you. I don't know whether you've noticed, but we've edited those questions to be a little less churchy. And what I'm saying is, that's okay. It needs to be okay if we are to share the good news of God's love and grace rather than merely maintaining our religious institutional traditions. So first thought. We can ask ourselves, what ways can our community proclaim Sabbath freedom, love, and healing to the broken and bent ones who show up here, but who are not, and don't ever want to be, churchy? And my other thought is this. There are also those who will never show up on Sundays, and they too need freedom and hope and love and grace and healing, And we believe that is what God offers. And Christians believe that we see this best in Jesus. When we look at Jesus in action, we really believe that this is who God is and what God does. The song we'll sing after the sermon is South African. It was a song of hope during apartheid. The first line is, freedom is coming. The second line is, Jesus is coming. And for a Christian, those lines mean the same thing. Someone once said that Jesus came not to polish our chains, but to set us free. And this is true for everyone. Those injured by the institutional church, those who have chosen another path, even those who are certain that we are all delusional in believing what we do. Everyone. So my second thought. We can ask ourselves, what ways can our community proclaim Sabbath, freedom, love, and healing to the broken and bent ones who will never show up here on Sunday morning? After all, the bent-over woman came to the synagogue, but she didn't come looking for Jesus. Jesus saw her suffering. He healed her. He called her a daughter of Abraham, claiming her as part of the community. No questions asked. Jesus' spin on keeping the Sabbath, noticing suffering and bringing healing, release, love, and hope, in a way that reinterpreted the law to meet present needs, is a model for us. We don't do away with the Sabbath. Instead, we keep it holy, we keep it better, and we honor God's intent and return praise and thanks to the Creator who loves us beyond all reason, all law, all expectation. The Creator whose love simply knows no boundaries, certainly not the boundaries that religion itself has created. My favorite part of this little story is at the end. The entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things he was doing. They got it. They understood what was going on. Ordinary people living their lives, doing the best they could, like you and me, taking care of business, working hard, caring for their families, trying to make the best of every day, and once a week, 
gathering to be reminded of what it's all about, that there is a purpose to all this, that each small life matters, that human life, all of it, mine and yours, the rule-abiding religious leaders, the poor crippled woman's, all of it matters. All of it is precious to God, who loves passionately and whose love simply will not be confined or restricted, but will finally find and embrace each one of us. The entire crowd was rejoicing. You bet they were. And may it be so for you and for me. Amen.